hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. My guest today is Robert Kinney, a Texas man who is former military. He had Sasquatch experiences both in Washington state and in Vietnam. And I'm very interested to hear all about this and the military aspect of the experience. So Robert Kinney, welcome to Type 471. Thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing real good, thank you, and how are you? I'm doing well today. I, I always love talking about Sasquatch, and you've got a story that's very much of interest to me, especially because you've had encounters on two different continents. So uh, I'm really interested to, to kind of compare and contrast those, those events in your life. All right. Okay. What would you like to hear first? <laughs> what, whichever one came first. Let's start at the beginning of everything and just tell me the whole story. All right. In uh, 1969, uh, I was in Vietnam and I got transferred up to the uh, tri uh, area, what they call uh, the, the three corner area up there. That's where Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam come together. And that was in the Cantun province. And uh, m my job up there was uh, working with the special forces people there and they had what uh, indigenous people up there called mountain yards. Uh, there was a, uh, they're like our native American uh, folks here in the United States, except in Vietnam, they treated those people with so much disrespect that Vietnamese hated them. The NBA hated them. The Chinese hated them. So they were just kind of like an outcast uh, people. And they ranged from 600,000 to 1 million uh, throughout the, the mountain area up there. And the mountains that I'm talking about came all the way down from China, down through the, the tri, tri areas, all the way down to the uh, Mekong Delta. Well, anyway, we was on a patrol one night and we, I had, uh, I had uh, three uh, Arvin Rangers with me and one mountain yard uh, scout and I had an interpreter that had been educated in uh, uh, northern Vietnam when the French was up there. This guy was about 35 years old. He could speak English and French real well. But he came to uh, South Vietnam when the NVA uh, started turning into a communist country up there. He, uh, him and his dad and mom uh, fled North Vietnam, came to South Vietnam. The special forces picked this fellow up as an interpreter, and I happened to be on a patrol one day, and he was assigned to me to go in case we caught any bad guys uh, to find out what was going on with them. Well, anyway, <clears throat> as we was going on this patrol, um, it was in De it was uh, the second week of December. The monsoon season has just finished, and mosquitoes were just like, oh my goodness, you wouldn't believe it. If you took a deep breath, you'd probably have 
five pounds of them for lunch. You know, that's just how bad, how thick they were up there. Oh, I can believe it. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, the scout comes back and uh, we set up a hasty, a hasty, what they call a hasty ambush. Uh, he had seen a patrol and uh, they were coming our way. So we set up a hasty ambush and got back down there in a the brush where they couldn't see us. And there's, if I remember right, there's, I think there was eight of them and they had a little kid with them. And he was, uh, he was, uh, his hands were tied and he had a, he had a, a blindfold on and it had a, a cable toe around as well. So a cable toe would be like a rope and they would drag this kid around and, and, uh, of course we didn't know what they were going to do. So we didn't, our main job was just to see what was going to go on and not to make contact at all. Just if you, if it could get close enough to take pictures and then radio back what you've seen, because in 1969, a place called Ben hit, uh, the NVA came down with the 28th NVA regiment came down and tried to overrun Ben hit. And it was, uh, commanded by Captain Lewis Kingsley, and they, uh, of course, they they couldn't get through. They uh, they stopped the attack, and our job was to find out if they're still trying to uh, retake that. So they'd send out these feeler patrols, and that's what they call it, a feeler patrol, to find out where these guys are at, and if possible, get a bombing run on them. Anyhow, uh, we watched them go by. So we started tracking these guys and they went across the border in the Cambodia border. They'd crossed and it started getting nightfall. So we set up, we set up a perimeter. We didn't like to move at night up there because you don't know where you're going. You might fall off a cliff and then you'd be, you'd be gone. So we set up a perimeter and it was dark. I'm, it, I've never seen a place so dark. My, it's, it's like going into a closet turning the lights off and closing your eyes. That's how dark it was. You couldn't see a half inch in front of your face. So we sat there all night waiting for daybreak so we, we could continue tracking these guys. And uh, about a half hour prior to daybreak, just before the first light, we heard this, oh my God, I can't believe, it was a scream that came from a ridge right above us. And it just stood the... It, it bounced off your chest and made the, the hairs on your head stand straight up. And so, you know, we, we didn't know what that was. And so I asked my interpreter, I crawled over to him. I says, what is that? And he, he let me get the proper pronunciation. He was, it's a Bigfoot, but they call it, uh, I'll spell this to you. I can't see it right. It's N-G-U-O-I, the first word. And the second word is R-U-N-G. Uh, in, in Vietnamese, and and I asked him what it meant. He said it's the people of the forest. And I said, what is the people of the forest? And and he went to explain that it was the hairy people that lived in the jungles, and they, uh, we were the the mountain yards were told about this from generation to generation that they, these people had been there. That what well, they called them real people had been in these jungles for centuries and centuries. And it's been passed down by word of mouth uh, to uh, respect these people. So anyway, we first light came. Oh, and and when this thing had hollered, about maybe a half a minute later, there was another answering call down in the valley, the same kind of a a, a howl, and it answered. And so we was pretty concerned about what was going to go on. Like you know, 
you know, do these things attack or what, you know, we'd, we'd, we were at the ready to make sure that, well, if they're going to come and get us, they're going to have a fight on their hands, but we didn't want to give our position away if we didn't have to. First light came up and we started tracking these bad guys again. And all of a sudden a scout came back and he said, they're coming back this way. So we got back, we made another, another, uh, hasty ambush. And here they come through there and, uh, they didn't have the kid with them. He was gone. Like, Oh my God, they must've killed this guy. Right. He was only like 12 years old is what we figured. So anyway, they're looking and they're screaming and they're yelling and carrying on. And, and they went down in the valley. And, uh, so we were going to start tracking them. And then all of a sudden, uh, we stopped, we heard some more noise and here comes this little kid. He was following these guys. He broke free and hid in the, in the woods. Well, these guys were looking for him and he was following them. So they were never going to find him. So we snatched this kid up and through the interpreter, we found out he was, uh, he'd been taken from his village. He was, was sent out by his mother to collect some firewood and that patrol had come through there and grabbed them. And, and one of the things they asked was where the Americans were at. And, uh, they were waiting for their, their company size element to come through and they were going to make another attack on, uh, Ben hit. So through all this interp interpreters, we got the information and, and I sent a, a, a radio signal back to Ben Hitt and told him what was going on. And they sent up a spotter plane to, to find these guys. And when the plane was up there, they found this company size element coming through uh, down the Ho Chi Minh Trail through uh, Cambodia, go, heading toward Ben Hitt. And they dropped the B-52 run on, the, on these bad boys. And so uh, when that was over with, we had orders to take this kid back to the village where he was from. So the scout knew exactly what village he was from. And up in the mountains, there is these mountain yards. They had uh, there's 29 tribal groups up there and they divided into two, la two large groups. And one is called the Rehade, R-H-A-D-E. And the other one is the uh, Jarari, it's J-A-R-A-I. And he belonged to the to the last, the Jar uh, A. That's what I called him. And we got him back to his village. And, of course, they treated us like we were gods after that, you know, because they thought his kid was gone forever. But the tribal chief ended up giving me a, a Vietnamese crossbow and a, a bracelet made out of brass uh, with with the tribal signs on it showing that I was one of them. And I, I took that as a great honor. We got back when this, our mission was over, we got back and, and I told my superiors about that. And, and I even told them about the, the sounds that we had heard and what they explained to us, what they were, what the mountain yards explained to us. And uh, they told us it was nothing. The pirates upset us, nothing but rock apes. And a, a rock ape is is a a band of well they're 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 apes I guess but they like to throw things at you when they get scared but they go in they go in uh, four and five groups they don't go by themselves they have a leader like like uh, most packs like a wolf pack will have a leader and but these rock apes also have leaders and and they follow their leaders and if the leader throws a, throws a a stone or a stick at you, they'll do the same thing. 
So I asked that interpreter, I said, do you think that was a rocket? That's what they're telling us. And he said, no, he says, uh, he said, the Bigfoot uh, is a creature that stays by himself. Or once in a while, they'll have a group of uh, the most I've ever seen was three. And I did some research after I talked to Mr. Kitchen there. And in uh, 69, 1969, there was a, a fellow, he, he was a scientist, John McKinnon. And he went to Borneo and they found tracks down in, uh, in Borneo of a large human-like person that was big. Because the people in Borneo are real small and they figured this thing had to be probably 400 pounds uh, and the footprints is wider than any uh, man's footprints, he, even here in the United States and, and a little bit longer. And he had recorded that in China in uh, June 30th in 2003, a Bigfoot was sighted in China and it was seen by six people, including a journalist in uh, uh, Sinojia Nature Reserve. And it was reported by the state news agency. And they also found fossilized teeth of a giant primate in that area. And uh, the report was picked up by CNN uh, uh, news broadcasters. So you take that for what it's worth. But right, that's, yeah. that's, that's what they, they said there. But anyway, I had talked to other veterans and I've talked to a couple of guys that I were pretty close with. And they've heard the same thing that I have heard. And uh, they come to the same conclusion I had that it was not rock apes that was making those noises. Because here's the thing, a rock ape, would, what would happen? They would start screaming and the whole band would start screaming. So it sounded like there's a whole millions of them up there, you know, and they would, it would just scare the daylights out of you. But this is only one sound or two sounds that we'd heard in that one in that valley and one in that ridge above us. So that was in 69. And I, I didn't, you know, after I got back to the States, I, I didn't think any, anything else about it. Just it been in the back of my mind, but not much. And then I got stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington with the second Ranger battalion up there. I went fishing, uh, up in the Northern Cascade range on the carbon glacier river up there. Before, the- before we move on into that, Robert, I want to ask you what these calls in Vietnam sounded like. Well, uh, the best I can this it was it started out as a uh, it started out as a kind of a medium howl, but it was really long. It was just like if I took a deep breath and hollered, say hey, where are you know hey you know take a deep breath and hollered hey as long as I could, it would be longer than what I could take a deep breath and do it. I mean that's how long it it probably about a I'm not I'm not exaggerating i would say between a 15 to 20 second uh sound uh, uh that's how long it was and what was the nature of the sound was it i mean you mentioned the word hey did it sound like the word hey or did it sound like something else no it sounded like god it it sounded like uh it sounded like he was trying to contact uh, or, or make contact or something it was just like uh, oh you know, like a wolf would howl, but it was a lot deeper than that. And it would just continue, you know, it was just a continuous, it was not, not broke up. Mm-hmm. It would be like that, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's actually a pretty good description that uh, tells me a lot. And, uh, and that one across and the one that 
we heard verses above us in this ridge above us. And uh, first, I I got to think, was that a was that an echo? But then there were so many trees down in that, that area, that jungle foliage. There's no way it would be echoing that that way, you know. It it would the echo would be broken up. And I mean, if I was going against a rock and there was a barren area, I could see where the echo back, but it didn't. And then we heard that call, and it was about it was probably. It was a little bit in between the sound of the first time we heard it to the second time we heard it, you know, and that came down from below us then. So I think it was an answering call. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds probable. Did the locals talk about the appearance of these hairy men? Yeah. Yeah. They said that they said, you know, the Vietnamese people in the mountain yard are, are, are short people. They're not probably no taller than five foot on the average. And they were describing this thing as, as probably my height, and I'm five foot uh, 11, five foot 10. And they were describing it as my height, but a lot heavier than me, because back in them days, I was, oh my God, that's probably 150 pounds, you know. And uh, they were saying it was a pretty thick in the shoulders and the chest and uh, real muscular, but he walked upright and they'd never seen him on all fours. He always walked upright and they just call it the people of the jungle. You know, you know, they didn't mess with it and they didn't, and they didn't mess with him or they didn't, he didn't mess with them. Well, that makes sense. I mean, these people, you know, have lived with these beings for who knows how long. And so they know from, from plenty of experience, they know to, to give them respect and to give them a wide berth. And one thing about the yards, the mountain yards, they can write things down, but it's usually something like that is passed on from generation to generation. They have symbols and signs and like uh, the bracelet that I got is a uh, is a is a the sign of their village. You know, there's not no it's not any words. It's just like a decorative bracelet, but it, it's their own. It's their own sign. Of, like I guess back in American Indian days, there each each Indian tribe would have their own way of making arrows, and, and would they would mark their arrows to show what tribe that came from, you know. So, so it's but but what really fascinated me this this had been passed on from generation through generation, and and even back before the French got there, they were telling about. Uh, their great grandfathers that told them about this, you know, that's a long time ago. The French was there in what in the fifties, I guess. And even the French has spotted some of these guys, you know, these, uh, these prime, I don't know if they primates, Bigfoots or what, but they had spotted them, you know, I, I seriously think it's a throwback from, from, uh, the ice age. There's probably some survivors of the ice age that made it through. That's my theory. What, here's what I found out when you're down and out and you don't think you're going to make it, that survival instinct that you have inside of you kicks in and you'll do anything you can to survive. And I think maybe this is what happened to them, you know? Sure. Over a very, very long period of time, the last, right. the last ice age ended about 13,000 years ago. They would be much, much older than the last ice age, but sure. They would have survived the last ice age along with everything else that survived the last ice age. Certainly. Well, well, look it up there in the Himalayas. They they spot this uh, uh, Yeti up there in the Himalayas, you know, and and he's up there who is so extreme cold and he's making it, you know, and he's got human like features, you know, 
Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I think they are relict populations of archaic human species. I, I seriously, well, I'll tell you about what I think what the government thinks about it, but uh, that comes with that Fort Lewis, Washington story. There's more, there's more to it than, than we're being allowed to know about, and I don't understand that. What happened next to you in Washington, Robert? Oh, I was on a fishing trip. I'd got a couple of days off, and I went up to a place called Copley Lake. And it's up close to Wilkerson. It's it's on the northern side of Mount Rainier up there in the Cascade Mountain Range. And I was following uh, the uh, Cascade River. I was going going upstream on the river there, and I had my fishing stuff with me. And I had a had a my sleeping bag and and some stuff. I was going to fish on uh, Copley Lake because the uh, the brown trout or not the, the brook trout were were starting to bite. And I got a permit on the base to go fishing up there, so. I had my uh, my pack on and stuff. And I was going up in there, and I got up there uh, just just a little bit uh, east of Bearhead Mountain, and uh, Copley Lake was down below this next ridge. And I was I was on there, and I was it just starting to get dark. I said, "Well, I'll make camp, and then I'll go down in and I'll do some night fishing," because I had I had a topographical map and I'd seen where these creeks were coming out. And uh, Copley Lake runs into uh, into the Carbon Glacier River. So I got down in there and I started, I was going to fish the mouth of these creeks and try to get some brook trout. And I heard this thing scream and I go, oh, heck, I've heard this thing before. And I mean, this is this is bigger and and longer than the one I heard in Vietnam. And this is this thing was just like I'm half a mile from this lake, you know, or, or no, no closer than a quarter of a mile and no further than a half a mile. And I, and it, and the noise ricocheted off my chest. I mean, it just, it vibrated. And I was in low brush area going down this hill. It was like, you know, like where huckleberries, that, that type of brush. I was going down there and it, and it just like, what the hell? No, I'm here by myself. I don't have a weapon. The only thing I got is a fishing pole and, and a hunting knife. Like, oh, this is not good. So I backed out of there and, and I went back down that trail I came from. And, and I walked half that night getting back to where my Jeep was at. And I said, this is it. I, I just can't go. So I went back to my base where I, and I told my CEO what what it's what what happened. And there's a place called uh, we do some mountain training up there. It's uh, Huckleberry Creek in the green water area there, which is like 12 miles from from the lake that I was going to fish on there. And he wanted to know where it was at. And I, I told him, and he says, well, I'll just forget about it. He says, you probably heard a bear. And I told my friend that, that, uh, that had lived in that part of the country all of his life. He was uh, in the Rangers with me. And I said, man, this was, I don't think this is, was a bear. And he said, no, he says, he, he says, he knows exactly what it is. He says, that's what they call Sasquatch. He says that the native Americans that, and he grew up around these Native Americans all of his life. And he says, they've had stories about this thing uh, walking through the Cascade Mountains for years and years and years. And just don't mess with them, you know. What got, what I thought was interesting, I thought about it later. They asked, they got out a map. I showed them the map where I was at. And they got it out. And they, they looked at where the training was at. And they said, well, that's all right. Just forget about it. And they went behind closed doors and started talking. And I said, man, they know something I don't know. You know, that's that's just the way it is. You know, the first sergeant, he tells you to get the hell out of his office. You get out. You know, you don't mess with him. He's just, he, 
he's he's better than any Sasquatch that I ever think he is, you know. So I did what I was told to do, but that's crazy. And you, you know, you, other rangers and and uh, helicopter pilots have even spotted these things flying through the air. You know, as they fly through there, they look down and see Sasquatch, and Sasquatch ain't flying, but you know, the helicopter pilots have spotted them. You know. Right, and I know that you just alluded to your experience when you tried to report it, but I'd like to get more specifically into that, step by step. What happened when you tried to report your incident? Well, I went in there and I asked permission to this uh, first sergeant. I told him what I had there, and he said, oh, wait a minute, he said, you better tell the CEO this. And I said, okay. So, you know, you go through the chain of command, you tell the story about three different times to three different people, you know, and you tell it to them. And uh, they said, all right, he said, just, it was probably a bear. Don't worry about it. You know, just don't go back in that area again. I, I said, okay. And then I never went back up in there. You know, you're told not to do something. You just don't do it. And then I didn't go back up in there. And I just stayed where I was at. And uh, I left the Rangers. Uh, oh, my God. What was that? In 76, 77. And then I went in the Navy and, and uh, I traveled the world after that in the Navy. I did 16 years in the Navy and uh, I, I'd never heard any more Sasquatches until I heard that one show on TV. And I think I explained that to you in, in a text message yesterday. And they had that sound and it was identical. I swear to God, it was identical sound of both times I heard that. I mean, when I heard that, I knew exactly what it was in because that was in a uh, I can't remember. I think it was up in Montana. They they recorded that. I I can't remember. Yeah, there are, remember. there are calls that have been recorded from all over the country, and I think it's well and elsewhere in the world, of course, Australia and in Asia, such as uh, what you're describing. I think it's really interesting that you heard the same call on two different continents, but in in Washington State, where we know that Sasquatches get much bigger. You heard you heard a much larger, longer, fuller sound. Uh, it, oh, it, was, it was terrifying. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, it's not not quite dark, but it's getting there, you know, and I'm I want to get down to this lake so I can set up a camp, you know, and get a fire going and stuff. And I heard this and it and it just came right up the side of that mountain. And it's like, oh, my God, oh, heck no. You know, I'm getting the heck out of here, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Quite, quite scary at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense that in the Asian jungle where ten, where species tend to be smaller at times, that the Sasquatch would be smaller according to that environment. That makes total sense to me. The mountain yards, they uh, truly believe that they're, they're the jungle people and they show uh, respect for them. You know, they don't try to hunt them or kill them or anything, you know. They don't do that. That's not in their beliefs. You know, it's just like uh, they do. They do have a story that they tell their children that that if they're not the children aren't good, that the jungle people will come and snatch them up in the night when they're sleeping and eat them. And that keeps keeps the little kids in line there from doing stupid stuff, you know. And so that that's that's been passed on from generation to generation. And that's by word of mouth. That's not written anywhere. It's word of mouth. And when when this interpreter told me that and the tribal chief had told me the same story, you know, through the interpreter, of course, I, I just find it find it just amazing that that I was able to experience something like that. Because who I go back and I, I tell my my family about this stuff and they look at me like I've been smoking pot or something like, are you crazy? There's nothing like that. 
And it's like I told you, I'm writing down all this stuff. So when I'm gone, they can read it and they can do what they want with it. But I'm telling, because history books will never tell you the whole truth, you know. And I'm telling, I'm telling you just the way it is and the way way I felt. And when I tell you, an Army Ranger, Special Forces qualified, got scared. I'm not lying to you. I was terrified, you know. Oh, I know. I know it's scary. And uh, yeah, you're right. They are not going to tell us the whole truth because people have agendas and, you know, it would, it doesn't suit their agenda to tell us the whole truth. You know, it, um, I, I can never figure that out. You know, I just like, I'd like to take them on a trip with me one time back up in those mountains there and just sit there and watch their reactions. Just watch them. Say, no, no, that's gotta be a bear. Right. And just watch what they say. You know, don't take nothing but a fishing pole. Just go up there. Uh, where are you going? You're walking backwards. You're not going forward. What the heck's wrong with you? You know, it just makes you not angry, but just upset with the whole system. Like, why can't they believe what's going on? What's wrong with the truth? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I I mean, just think of what learning, uh, just think of what officially recognizing a Sasquatch would do to industry in this world. It would disrupt everything. It would disrupt, uh, you know, a, a lot of laws we have pertaining to national parks. It, it would, dis- right. it would disrupt, um, lumber. It would, it would disrupt the timber industry. It would disrupt any industry that relies on wild areas and, and using wild resources. And, you know, if you think, uh, an endangered frog or an owl can halt industry. Just think of what a, a human species, a wild human species living in the woods would do to industry. I know it. You know, and that, that John McCannon, uh, he was a uh, scientist and he had a team of guys and they discovered three unknown mammals in 1992. They thought that was extinct and they, they're still surviving. So if they find that, what's the possibilities that this uh, Sasquatch, and, and I don't think that's a proper name for him, they, they should find out that if he does have human genes in it, you know, and they, and I, here's what I believe, and I, I, I can't prove it, and it's just off the top of my head, but they, they tell me they find uh, hair with, and they do DNA samples and they can't put in a, uh, a DNA to it. Hmm. All right. But they, but it does have uh, some some DNA shows a little uh, human activity in it. So what? Why can't it be a cross? It could be the missing link. You don't know. You know. In the past, DNA samples have been uh, have come back as being contaminated because it contains human DNA. Because the scientific paradigm is that there's not supposed to be another human species on the planet. So that just has has caused for an automatic return of contamination so we need the dna samples in order to prove that sasquatches are real and we need to prove sasquatches are real in order for the dna samples to be taken seriously Um, and i was gonna say it it sounds like you live in sasquatch country now the woods of texas the wildlands of texas i'm not far from i'm i'm uh three miles from the trinity river and the trinity river goes into of course trinity texas and just outside that there's it's uh Outside of Trinity is a a big big area that goes for miles back there flood uh, flood zone that you can't even get in there to go hunting or fishing with because if they open up the floodgates there from uh, Chambers Lake and down there on the, it goes into that creek 
that creek area, that river area, it floods out and afraid people get killed down in there. But I do have some friends that work with the DNA down there, uh, Department of Natural Resources, and they tell me that they've, they've seen things that they can't explain, and they said it's not a bear. So I'm pretty sure he's probably living down there. He's probably he's probably an ex-ranger eating snakes and uh, alligators. Who knows? I don't know. But they, they say they've seen things, and they can't, uh, they can't identify it. You know, but they tell their boss, their boss tells them that you get it also, you know. Well, if your friends would like to speak with me about that, I'd love to I'd love to talk to them if you want to put us in touch. Yeah, I'll do the best I can getting a hold of them. It's they work down there and I have to find out what their working hours are. There's there's three brothers down there and they work together and they come back and uh, my wife's at the nursing home out there. She's been there for eight years and they, once in a while I go out there and I'll catch them at the nursing home and they'll be telling me stories and I just start laughing at them. So, but when I see them, I'll, I'll definitely, uh, I'll save this podcast there and, and tell them how to get a hold of you. Great. Yeah. That, that's a good idea. Um, so have you thought about doing any Sasquatch research yourself, going out into the woods in Texas and seeing what you can see? Well, I'm 73 years old and I got a pack of hounds that won't leave me alone because if I go, they got to go. And I just don't want to disturb them. You know, it's uh, if, but uh, here's what here's another thing I think of, too. Down where I live at, it, my my farm backs up to a 2000 acre ranch and the ranch has been kind of uh, there's no cattle on. It's just all kind of overgrown now. And once in a, and you hear a lot of coyotes in that area. But once in a while, this is what what trips me out once in a while these coyotes when they sing they're in a pack you know what i'm saying they're all they're all in a group but way off in the distance you'll hear another one off by itself and i'm wondering if that might be a a a bigfoot back in there trying to answer to them it could be you know there there has been a relationship noted between sasquatches and coyotes they do tend to follow coyote packs to power scavenge meaning that the coyotes right right the coyotes right. will, will do all the hard work for them, and then the Sasquatches will just come in and scare off the coyotes and uh, take advantage of their kill. This creek that runs behind my house, eventually it runs into the Trinity River, and it wouldn't be hard for them to come up through that, that ranch area up in the back of my place. Here. But I got all these hounds I got out there, and, and uh, the only reason I got them hounds is to keep them cats away from a chicken coop, you know. But I'll tell you what, if I go out and see a Sasquatch, I'm going back in the house, I'm going to just... Turn on loud music and just act like I've never seen it. And if the dogs, they're on their own, they can take care of themselves. If they can't, then they should have never messed with this guy, you know. You're 73, 73 years old. You're not as bad as you think you used to be, you know. Well, I don't think I don't think anyone's bad compared to a great big Sasquatch outside your house. So, Robert, is there a name? Do you have a working title for your book yet? No, it was just... It was just uh, it's it's called uh, Rangers of Firebase Hard Times, and uh, the second part of it's uh, the Mountain Yards of uh, Ben Hit. It's uh it's written down in my computer at the house, and uh, it's on the notes that I keep. And then when I go, I, I'm hoping my kids would uh, would read it and try to understand a little bit more about what a soldier went through. Because it it there's some funny stories in there, you know, and there's some sad stories in there. And, and but every time there's a tragedy, you can find something humorous in a tragedy. If that sounds kind of bad, but in a way, you know, you know what I'm saying. I do know what you're saying. Yeah, you can find uh, kind of the blessings in a tragedy. When I was in the Navy, I didn't have anything to do with the uh, with with the Army anymore. But I, with my 
MOS and the Army was in communications. And so I ended up working with uh, some special teams uh, going after bad guys during uh, Saddam Hussein's days down in that. And I retired in 93. So I was on a couple of operations with some of those those guys. And those guys are bad. Those guys. Also, what I had to do is operate a radio. I didn't have, have to go in there after these guys. But these guys that went in after some of these, these uh, terrorists and stuff, they are nothing but bad. And that's with a great big B, you know. Well, Robert, uh, when you finish your memoir, will you let me know? I sure will. And uh, if I ever get this uh, printer of mine done, I'll, I'll send you, I'll print it out and send it to you if you'd like. I would absolutely love that. Yes, please. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Your experiences are very interesting. Um, you know, I, I just... I like to make note of people's experiences where new information can be revealed, and I think yours is one of those. Uh, you know, like any tiny little thing tells us so much, and and your experiences, the experience in Vietnam versus your experience in Washington, that little contrasting of those two experiences tells me quite a bit, and I'm, I'm glad you provided that little tidbit for me and gave us some insight. So Robert Kinney... Thank you so much for being on Type 471 today. Well, thank you very much. Uh, to me, it was an honor to, uh, to talk to you and, and get this out. Uh, people have got to understand that, you know, we've got to protect these, uh, these beings. That's the way I look at it, you know. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, Todd Neese has some good ideas about how to protect them. I just interviewed him a few weeks ago. So if you want to check out my podcast and listen to what Todd Neese has to say about it, uh, he has some really good ideas that I think you'll find uh, encouraging. Well, uh, Mr. Kitchen, thank you very much. And you have a great day. All right. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You have a great day as well. And I will speak with you soon. My next guest today is Jason Armitage, who has also had encounters on two separate continents, both in Romania and in Oregon State here in the U.S. So I am anxious to talk to Jason. You've got a pretty interesting backstory, Jason. First of all, welcome to Type 471. How you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So you're kind of from all over the place, and it, it, it sounds like you've got uh, an interesting history. I, I would like to hear about it. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was born originally, uh, I'm from Dublin, Ireland, uh, and I lived there uh, off and on throughout my life. Um, my whole family are Romnishals, uh, so we're uh, Irish uh, gypsies is what you would call it here. And um, I lived uh, in Romania after I was 15 with my father, because uh, he's a Romanian national, and uh, that's where I had my first experience. Um, and then uh, moved to the States uh, about seven years ago. And uh, <clears throat> um, I had my uh, second encounter in uh, Chiliquin. Right, in Klamath County, Oregon. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, how about, let's let's start with your experience in Romania. Okay. Um I so when I was 15 years old, I just moved to Sigishora in Romania uh, with my father, and uh, it's high in the Carpathian Mountains uh, in the province of Transylvania. And uh, we lived um, in a big family household, and uh, that was my first year with him. And we went into the forest to celebrate uh, to get a tree for our Christmas, which is. Uh, the Eastern Orthodox Christmas, which is January 7th. So 
So it was uh, January uh, the eve of that. So it was January sixth, and um, we drove up to the pa uh, mountains and we're walking in the snow. Um, and me and my father uh, cut down our tree and we're having a really good time, just having normal day conversations. And um, we had finished cutting the tree and and wrapping it up and. We're walking back to my dad's Saab. He had a little, you know, Saab 900S turbo car, you know, and um, we're walking back down the trail that we came from, and it was starting to get dark, and it gets dark there very, very fast, so we had to escalate, the, you know, how fast we were walking, and all of a sudden, my dad stops, and he goes, you know, do not move. Don't make a sound. Don't move, but look to your left. And I'm, I thought he was, you know, joking with me. And he, uh, he kept grabbing my wrist. And he's like, you know, if you have to grab my gun, because he had a, a, a Smith & Wesson revolver on his hip, and he was getting scared. And he, I look over to the left, and there's these two big, you know, orangish amber eyes up, like standing by the kind of low, uh, those level trees so they're not as big as the other trees they're kind of like the newer trees that got planted there but they were still about you know seven seven and a half feet tall and he says you know look over to your, uh, you know keep looking at it but don't walk away and don't run and we're looking and there, you could see them and they were you know at least i would say seven and a half, you know seven feet tall up in the air on you could see the breathing you know the the vapor coming from the mouth but you couldn't see uh clearly the form and you couldn't like i couldn't tell you if there was like ears or uh um, what the face would look like or the muzzle or anything like that but you got this really intense feeling of like um like not, not not really fear but paranoia like something doesn't want you there and um, he he goes, okay, it's not moving, so let's calmly keep an eye on it and walk farther. And I'm like, okay. So we're carrying the tree together, and we started hearing over on the right side in the ditch area because it's a downcline. And over in the ditch area, you heard snapping and thumping and kind of rustling of bushes, but about forty to fifty feet away from us so pretty close um but it sounded like a horse galloping like pretty pretty like good pace running trying to catch up to us and uh i started like getting very very scared and my dad's like okay stop walking again and look to your right and i looked to the right and you could see something what i would guess would be like a sideways glance over its shoulder but it you and it was I was about five feet tall at this time, so still pretty short, but it was like every bit, its eyes were about chest level with me on all, and you can tell it was like not standing up, it had ever been on four legs, and it was growling, you know, that low guttural threatening growl, uh, and there was never like any time, like I said, that we could actually get a solid look at it. Um, but you just saw those eyes and you could kind of tell the rolling of the back 
of the one that was on had to have been on all fours and um uh my dad uh shot one uh shot into the air to kind of scare it away and you could hear this scream like an annoying kind of scream like it was mad at us but then it ran they both ran away uh, and we loaded up the tree on the top of the roof and you know quickly cinched it down and got in a car and you know uh, you have to kind of take a steep right turn to kind of turn around off that pass there and come back down and go back into town and um, the whole time I, I literally urinated all over myself because I was so scared uh, my dad you know I'm apologizing to my dad I'm like oh my god you know like, I'm so sorry I peed my pants <laughs> he's like I'm not gonna lie I almost did too um, and that was like my very first encounter never got a look at it never never felt really like I was going to get eaten or like killed, but I definitely felt flanked and, and, and like this overwhelmed feeling like I got to get out of here. You know, this is, I'm not welcome here. Something doesn't, these two things do not want us here. And, um, my dad kept telling my grandpa at the time, he's like, you know, this happened to us. And my grandfather goes, Oh, they're called Vokorlak which means like wolf man or man wolf. Uh, so like their version of like a werewolf. And um, uh, ironically, that kind of stayed with my family through this whole time. Like we never really talk about it to anybody, anybody like acquaintances or anything, but I've told a few friends and I'm, uh, you know, very happy that I got to meet, uh, meet you uh, or like talk to you on the phone because I, I always wanted to like talk about this and get it out there so people kind of don't feel so alone uh, and feeling like they're crazy because these things do exist. Like, you know, you know, not, not, you know, in solid proof, but you know, how many, how many people could be wrong and have the same virtual stories about it. And they're so vivid, you know? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, cause, cause, everybody has their i mean whether they have direct proof of their experience or not people are having these experiences and uh i'm really glad that you came forward with yours because you're contributing to the overall body of knowledge and experience you know it just it's it it just provides a, a, an extra glimpse an extra little bit of information and i'm i am really glad that you that you that you did this because you know the, people might need to hear about somebody having an experience like they They've had and you know it might be comforting to them so so yeah that, that's admirable um i want to i want to clarify a few things i just want to make sure i'm understanding perfectly everything that happened uh is there is there any possibility that this was one being who had who who had been in that original spot and then had circled around or are you certain that there are, these were two separate beings uh they were definitely two um because when even when we were walking back the fi- you know the final time when we just stopped stopping we we were walking back we kept my dad would keep his eye on the left and I kept my eyes on the right and occasionally we'd just alternate because we wanted to have line of sight of what was coming uh, cuz we only had one gun and 
So we were, you know, we didn't want to hurt him, but we were, you know, we're not going to let you take my son. You know, he was like, I'm not going to let you die and I'm not going to die either. You know, if we can help it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it was definitely two. And what was weird is that the one that was on the stand-up position, it wasn't in the tree. It wasn't like climbed into the tree. You could tell it was that height because it was clearly standing up. And um, those trees weren't thick enough for something like that size and probably that a, a huge amount of weight to climb them, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah, that's a heavy being, being that tall. Yeah, and uh and this the sounds that we heard were very canine they were very low guttural growls you know very you know that deep you know like 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 a wolf would sound or like some kind of a dog when it's really annoyed you know like it's telling you something you should listen to you know and um the breathing you could tell it was huge because the, the way the amount of mist that would come out of the mouth was just it, it looked like someone taking a drag off a vape pen, you know, it was that amount of smoke or, you know, oxygen coming out. That, and the, and, but you can tell the lungs were just massive because that, that, that woofing kind of breathing. And, um, yeah, that's a big chest and big lungs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's honestly what terrified me is like, I'm like, there's little to no chance of us getting out of here alive if they want us, they're taking us, you know, and no one's going to know, you know, right. there's just no, there's no, I mean, uh, my family has raised wolf dogs and wolf hybrids, uh, pretty much all my life in in different areas of the world. Uh, my, my dad was, a uh, learned, he learned in, uh, in just through books about zoology and, um, unfortunately he served a lot of time in prison in Romania. And so he would, he actually graduated and became a, uh, he had an equivalent of like a bachelor's degree in zoology. And all our family are uh, on the shelves, like I said. So kind of like Native Americans, like animals are sacred to us. So a lot of my family are very versed in what animals sound like and how they behave and what's a predator, what's not a predator, you know, how to be behave around a predator. So I was lucky in that kind of state where I I knew better than to run. I knew better than to threaten it back. You know, there's nothing I can do if if it becomes a uh, violent encounter or a predatory encounter. So I was pretty fortunate. I was pretty lucky. Uh, yeah, you you were fortunate, all right. Uh, and that that vulnerability, that complete helplessness, is a common theme. You know, you're out there in the woods with this giant thing and uh you know there's nothing you can do to stop it if it wants to do you harm and in your case you were out there with two of them now this is in transylvania i mean there's no shortage of weird stuff that people see in transylvania land of the strigoi and uh the wampir and home of vlad tepish you know so Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in Transylvania, well-established history of very strange things going on in the woods. I do have to mention the possibility of, of it, just from my point of view, you know, I wasn't there, but the possibility of it being a Sasquatch, two Sasquatches, they are all over the world. They make 
all kinds of different sounds. Um, sometimes they do sound very canine-like. W- what do you think of that? Do you think it's possible that these were two Sasquatches, or are you certain in yourself that these were werewolves? Um, well, like, uh, I, I could be wrong, you know what I mean? Um, uh, I have no idea because I didn't have a good line of sight of any kind of, like, features, you know. And the eye shine sounds similar to what a primate would have, that amber, almost reddish eyes. And it could just be like being superstitious because of where we grew up, you know. But um, in Romania, they don't necessarily have too many stories of uh, Sasquatch. That's more kind of like in the Umar province of uh, Siberia and stuff like that. Sure. Um, where they call them Yeti or uh, um, different names, but mostly Yeti. Uh, to this day, I'm pretty sure people have experienced Sasquatch there. But I, I just never heard of it back then, so I could be wrong, you know. Um, but like all the stories of a Korlach that I heard, like that's what I interpreted it as, you know. What I mean, and they're kind of like their behavior just sounded more wolfish to me, you know, uh, more canine. Absolutely, and I'm I'm certainly not trying to tell you that you did not interact with werewolves. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's as possible as anything else. I just, you know, I'm just trying right. to, you know, just kind of get to the bottom of things a little bit. But whatever it was, it's extremely interesting because you have an example of one of these individuals standing upright, clearly upright on two legs, seven and a half feet tall or thereabouts. Uh, and then you have Ooh. another one who is very comfortable moving about on all fours. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, well, and that, you know, that is also very Sasquatch-like, but that is also werewolf-like from what I understand of werewolves. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, these you encountered two very incredible beings out there. That's what we can say for sure at this point, I think. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and you had an uh, encounter here in the States that we might be able to compare it to and maybe kind of shed some light on things. So what happened to you in Oregon? So I used to live in uh, Ch- in Chiloquin, uh, which is, um, well, kind of outskirts of Chiloquin, which is a tribal reservation up there, um, uh, up in the Kalamath uh, County, like by uh, kind of about 45 minutes away from uh, Kalamath Falls. Right. I, um, I went up there looking for property once, actually. It's a beautiful area, very remote. Oh, very remote, yeah. And uh, I've had multiple weird things happen up there, not just Sasquatch, but kind of UFO-style kind of stuff. But um, And that's pretty prevalent around there. Multiple people see like UFOs and stuff. But, uh, but the property I lived on, I lived on 10 acres of a 90-acre lot. And my nearest neighbor was about, uh up the road about maybe 15 minutes in a car so quite a quite a distance between neighbors um and it was me and my ex-wife and um, uh my daughter my oldest daughter at the time on uh we had a little kind of like yurt style house that we lived in and, and uh but we were standing outside uh just after dinner and uh, we're having a cigarette outside by our front door, and uh, we heard that kind of bellow scream, like that the more primate sound, that you know whoop, you know like, but not a whoop, but more like that really high powered like scream. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that I could definitely tell because I was older and I have a bachelor of science degree, 
and mammalogy, so I know vocalizations of of multiple animals now, even even like different distress calls and stuff like that. So I knew this is not a normal in indigenous like what you would consider like a known indigenous animal to this area. We don't have big, you know, by proof we, you know, like normal day people wouldn't say you have a seven to eight, even some people say ten foot tall primate. You know? Right. Uh, in Oregon, in Oregon, you know, um, because most people think they couldn't exist because of ways to feed and you would be able to see them because they're so massive, but they are very reclusive, you know, primates by nature are reclusive, so you wouldn't see them. That's the ironic thing. Uh, just like any animal, they're not going to see, you're not going to see them until they want you to. Mistakes get made, but on their part, but, you know, it's normally when they want you to see them. On, uh, but we heard that scream, and we both kind of go like, "Did you? There's no way you didn't hear that. It was it was so bellowy. You, it was you could feel it go through your body. We both got instantaneously nauseous, and uh, uh, like kind of like that quaky, stomachy feeling, like turbulence in your stomach, like you feel like you're gonna vomit. And uh, I looked at my wife, and I'm like, you know, we need to get in the house because our horses are freaking out. We had two horses. And we had my wolf dog and we had another dog that a friend gave us. And they're both going crazy in the living room. So I grabbed my gun out of the safe. Um, I just had a uh, Remington repeater rifle and uh, my wife grabbed her revolver. You know, because again, I didn't want to shoot anything, but I'm not going to let you hurt my family. You know, that I can't d- let you do that no matter what you are. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, we're sitting in the living room with the lights off because I don't want to scare it away. I want it to kind of stay around because I want to figure out if it can hurt my horses. It's going to try to break in here like a bear could. You know, I, you know, I know it's big for sure. Um, and it was still quite a bit distance away because we had, you know, it was probably 200 yards to my bob wire fence and cattle runner uh, gate where my neighbor had his cattle come through my property. So I knew where it was coming from, um, and I could still kind of see, and you could see kind of movement in the tree, like tree line, but, you know, uh, you couldn't see the like any eye shine right away. Uh, so when we were in the living room, we had one of those old crank, or, you know, the crank flashlight, like electric flashlight, but, it, you know, had very high power, and so... I turn it on and I'm scanning the ravine down there to kind of look at where, where if I could catch a glimpse of it, and you'd kind of get that. You could, you know, we had our window open. You could hear things kind of knocking around and banging, and a couple of times we heard the fence kind of rattle, the gap, the cattle fence. You could see something like in the shadows, but you couldn't. And I've never had that really cool experience where you see it clearly. But there was the one that was standing by my tree line, uh, and it was kind of pressed up against the fence. You, when you would shine the line to it, it would kind of like go away, it would back up or like move away. It had to have been, I'd say, probably six and a half feet tall, maybe anywhere between that and set again another maybe foot after that but 
it was clearly an animal. You could tell it wasn't a person joking around. It was clearly an animal. So we're we're sitting in the living room, all nervous, all discussing, trying to be calm and collected. But then we heard it again by my front door. Um, and my door wasn't anything strong. I mean, if it wanted to rip open the door and get to us, it could very quickly. And um, we heard about our front door, and now we're all terrified. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, I actually pulled back, you know, pulled back my curtain uh, and tried to look for my bedroom near the front door to see if I could see it because it literally sounded like I'm right outside your door. And my wife was like, I'm going to hide in the bathroom because I'm not liking this. This is freaking me out. So she goes to the bathroom, which is on the opposite side oh, over by our kitchen. But, and she's in the bathroom for about maybe four or five minutes. And she starts screaming because the over by our watershed that had a light on it, she saw a sideways glance of a face, definitely not a person. Uh, I didn't see it, but the, she explained it to me. Um, and it kind of looked like the upper jawline, you know, and sideways looking eye kind of examining our pump house for the for the water tank. Um, and that one looked, she said it, it was a little bit over the roof of the pump house, which was probably at least six and a half, another maybe, you know, six and a half maybe almost seven feet but not quite kind of a little shed so it definitely looked shorter she said but she could see kind of leathery type skin clearly because it was near the light and that it had um kind of like a sunken face uh like on the on the uh brow kind of like on the on the brow uh she said she could like she could see its eye, but its eye was relatively smaller and it had the same kind of eye shine, like the yellow kind of red coming out when it, cause it was near the light. So she could see the eye shine really well. And it was just kind of standing there making, and they were both making these weird cack. It was like a, not a cackle, like a coughing sound, but it was repeated. Like it would like cough, you know, like, like a weird, a deep cough sound and then it would kind of like chatter and then it would cough again like kind of you know like this like it was like they were talking to each other and that's one where we're like oh you know this has definitely got to be a sasquatch <laughs> yeah this is this is definitely something that's not like a dog where they do their weird cackly hyperactive talking and it's not a cougar and we had a cougar that was normally on our property and he was a big old cougar, but you know everybody knew him in the property. I knew it wasn't a cougar scream; it wasn't any kind of cougar chirping, or you know they sound more like a bird when they're vocalizing. So uh, it wasn't anything like that. Uh, but it and it wasn't an elk, which elk can make some kind of weird sounds. But it wasn't a, a elk fellow. It was you know, or you know kind of coughing like that. The way you describe the 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 chirping and barking communication sounds very much like known Sasquatch sounds. It it, it sounds it sounds kind of like some things uh, from the Sierra sounds. Are you familiar with these Sierra sounds? Yeah, yeah. And what do you think compared to that? Did, was was anything in there similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, like that that like that bellow kind of the the really high pitched like 
bellow, you know, like that, you know, like, I can't do it. Right. <laughs> but, but, uh, or, or, you know, um, uh, and I used to watch like Bigfoot hunt, you know, the finding Bigfoot show and like people, I would watch it. I'm like, Oh my God, these people can't be lying. They're hearing what I'm hearing, you know? So I know I'm not crazy. Um, but when I heard the Sierra sound, it's kind of like that, like di- wide amount of different vocalizations. And it was, you know, very intense. It was very powerful, like very spiritual kind of feeling. Um, and we didn't really, and me and my wife talk about it, uh, you know, ex-wife talk about it still to this day. And like, you know, are we sure we heard what? And I'm like, you know, I'm like, sweetie, we know what we heard. My daughter knows what she heard. She was, you know, 17 at the time, she knows what she heard. We're not stupid, you know? Um, and, and that's the very kind of infuriating feeling is when you're trying to relate these to people and talk, so many people cost you out or they make you feel like a fool. And I, I just want people to understand, like, I'm a zoologist. I know vocalizations of animals. I know I, I studied for years animal behavioral studies and teaching, uh, uh, conservation education in Issaquah, Washington at the Cougar Mountain Zoo. And I worked primarily with uh, big cats as, a, as a, a zookeeper there. And so I've worked with big animals and predatory animals uh, uh, for years. Like, I, I'm not a diseducated person. I'm not just some person that wants attention from this. And it, you know, it, it, it just kind of makes me angry because I want people to understand, like, if this is happening to you, you're not alone because you can feel that way. You can feel very alone, like you're crazy, that you can't open up to people and just tell them what you've experienced. And you should be able to, you know. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And it makes me angry, too. Uh, that's the whole point of this show, as a matter of fact, is to raise awareness, to expand people's awareness of what really exists. So I very much uh, agree with you. I feel that that is that the kind of acknowledgement you're describing is part yeah. of expanding human consciousness. And it is frustrating when people, you know, when, when these experiences are met with skepticism by people who, uh, you know, whose consciousness, whose awareness does not include these things. But, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, that's, that's what we're doing here. That's what we're that's what we're putting it out there for one episode at a time, one experience at a time, such as yours. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, and it, and it's great. And you've, you, you, you have a lot of details. You, you were very detailed in your observation and I really appreciate that. Um, so this, this bellow that made you nauseous and, and you, you know, you shown your flashlight into the tree line, mm-hmm. you could see movement. Uh, you were you were very thorough about all that, but I, I just want to know about how far away do you think that was? Um, so from my living room area, my living room window, it had to be, I'd say about eighty to ninety yards away. Okay, and from yeah. from eighty to ninety yards away, this sound made you feel physically nauseous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is saying something. That's powerful. Yeah. Well, like, you know, ultrasonic sound, like uh, what what a lot of predators can do, like lions and tigers can do this also, is, well, in, you know, infrasound. So you can't hear it, but you can feel, you know, even prey items will get disoriented, will get confused, 
by this sound and it reverberates around your body. And the important thing to remember is why you feel nauseous or vertigo is because our bodies are, you know, roughly 75% water. Well, sound goes through water quicker and more powerful. And so that's why, you know, I, like I said, I study these kind of things. And so when, when big cats will do that, they'll make these sounds that travel miles because they'll do that. They'll put their head to the ground and they'll intentionally do that sound into the soil. So it goes through like a shock wave through the earth and hits the other animal that it wants it to hit. And they're very precise with it. Like, you know, they, they, they know how to do this instinctually to kind of knock a, you know, like a lion will do it to an Impala, you know, before they, when they're stalking it, and they'll kind of keep doing it, keep doing it, almost like sonar to kind of trick the animal, like, hey, you know, I want it to be disorganized so it's a faster catch, you know? And, and, um, and that's what I kind of, I, I, I felt that sound, you know, when you're reading about it in college and you're discussing the impact on a, on a prey item or anything like that, you're, you're like, okay. And you know, scientifically what, you know, kind of verse by verse of what it would feel like, because you want to put yourself in that animal's shoes as well, just feel what they feel. Uh, kind of the fear, or the the nauseous feeling, or or something, but they got to feel something, or even that stumbly vertigo feeling. Yeah. So the use of infrasound is something that a lot of predators use to uh, to incapacitate their prey, and and in, the use of infrasound is a huge topic of discussion in the Bigfoot community. It is widely believed that the Sasquatch uh, use infrasound in exactly the way that you're describing. And, and it can have all sorts of weird effects and they use it in all sorts of weird ways. And, you know, just because they're, they're so intelligent, uh, I mean, it seems to me that they've figured out a lot of very creative ways to use their infrasound abilities. Um, so yeah, it has all sorts of, uh, amazing effects on people at times. So, um, you, I mean, given your professional background, your familial background, your history, your spirituality, and the fact that you've had these experiences, it seems to me like you'd be the perfect Bigfooter. Do you, do you, uh, feel compelled to get out there and look for evidence of the Sasquatch? Yeah, I do. Like I, I, when I met your friend, uh, here at my, my local tavern, like, um, how I learned about you and everything. Like I was like, right when her and uh, a person she was investigating with were talking to me, I'm like, Oh my God, you know, this is exactly what I've always wanted to do. You know? Really? No uh, kidding. Wow. That's, yeah, that's serendipitous, isn't it? That you uh, encountered them that day. Yeah. I kind of like meant to be kind of thing, you know? Absolutely. And you know what? We are all, all of us, are experiencing that meant to be stuff connection right now. Like so many things are lining up in terms of this yeah. and, and you're, you're part of that. Like we're all supposed to be investigating this. I mean, you know, things are just lining up in this way that tells me at least, and a lot of us, all of us so far that something is unfolding that is meant to happen in terms of all of us looking for the Sasquatch. I think there's something sacred and spiritual happening right now, as far as all that goes. Oh, definitely. Like my, my grandmother, she's Native American from the Menominee Reservation in Michigan. They actually have a totem, like in the 
uh, over by the city hall there. And if you look at the totem, they have all their, you know, tribal clan animals, you know, so they have this, the crane, they have the wolverine, they have the bear and the, and the coyote and the wolf. And they have all those animals on the totem facing, you know, like a normal totem. But the funny thing is, is that if you look at the back of the totem in, in, uh, uh, carved into the back of the totem, there's a upright and it's about as big as the totem, you know, about nine feet tall. Uh, and it's chiseled in there, you know, carved into it. And it's a picture of, it looks like a hairy man and they call it the hairy man. Um, and, uh, the, uh, uh, they, uh, well, she calls it the hairy man. I'm not sure what the tribe calls it, but like the, the, uh, first time I saw them, like, you know, that's the Sasquatch. That's what, you know, I mean, these people have lived there for, you know, I don't know how many years, hundreds of years. They're native to that area. And they all have like stories. They even have like ceremonial masks about the hairy, the hairy guy, you know, and, to them, he's a peacekeeper. Like, uh, uh, he's basically what you would call like a animal conservationist or a nature conservationist by nature. Like, he, he's not a, a, a aggressive killer. Like, but he, if you go out in the woods, they have stories of, you know, people having, uh, uh, you know, stones and stuff thrown at them. Like a lot of people have had, uh, or if they you know, wrong nature, if they pollute or if they, if they poach animals or, you know, stuff like that, that they, they get very aggressive, like responses from it. Um, and I, I, uh, you know, like, that's what I, I think, uh, we kind of encountered both in Romania and <laughs> in, um, in Chiloquin at both different times is I didn't feel like I was going to die. You know, my, my immaturity kind of played to that fear because I was only 15 than the first one. And so I felt terrified, you know, terrified, but it never charged us. It ran, the second one ran alongside of us, but it was running so fast. I mean, there, there's no way you could not get caught if it wanted to come out of the ridge line there we'd be devoured or killed or, you know, removed from that area if it wanted to, you know, and it never made that choice. So they're obviously very intelligent creatures. They know people are predators too, but we have, we, you know, we're not normal predators. Like we're, you know, we kind of cheat on that because we have weapons and they seem to know that, you know, they know, okay, this is a, a potential rival or a threat to me. I'm not going to get myself injured because that limits my capacity to take care of my young or my livelihood and be able to food, you know, get food and sustain myself to survive. And that's the, that's the, the thing that I want people to understand. Like, I don't feel like either one of these encounters were life threatening. I was terrified in a way, but I, I had, I had a uh, kind of a, it was more spiritual. Like I'm, I'm afraid, but I don't, it's hard to explain. Like, I don't feel like I would have been killed. 
you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of an instinct to be terrified in those moments when you're so completely helpless to this wild thing that you have no control over. Um, but they're, they, they are very intelligent, and uh, their self-preservation says do not, you know, risk uh, injury, you know, so, so they don't go around just attacking people for no reason. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, and the spiritual component, like you're saying is, you know, is a whole, whole other thing, but that's an area of great interest to me. And I, I certainly very much appreciate what you're saying about that. I appreciate you uh, listening for sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you coming to me with this and, and sharing this with, with all of us. This is extremely important. And, uh, you're, you're the kind of guy I like to keep in touch with and because of the type of person you are, because of who you are professionally, because of your background and your spiritual view of all this. So I, I really want to reach out to you and, and, uh, you know, pick your brain a few times in the future uh from uh now and again um we're in the last few minutes of the show jason i just want to ask you one more question it, it is becoming very apparent to me that there's a pattern among people and you seem to fit into this pattern uh people who have encountered a sasquatch usually have some other kind of experience as well they they tend to have a sensitivity about them that makes them prone to paranormal experiences and you alluded to this earlier in our conversation uh, you mentioned ufo sightings so I, I again we don't have a lot of time left in the episode but uh i just wanted to ask you in a general sense uh, what other kinds of experiences you've had um well like ever since i was little i've had spiritual encounters with uh you know, residual energy, like, you know, like kind of poltergeisty energy, uh, you know, things moving when they're not supposed to move, uh, feeling like you got touched by something when nothing's there or you think nothing's there. And as a kid, like I've always, uh, I've always had the ability to kind of see auras like, like, like kind of like a, like a shield around your body. Like I've always just had that, that, way about me and like i've seen you know just just kind of odd things that aren't normal or what you call paranormal and i've had uh i had uh three different ufo encounter like sightings that i would thought would be a ufo uh because it just wasn't anything i was used to or you know any kind of aircraft that i've ever seen in my life uh and i've checked with other people in that area and be like hey did you see that light or did you see that you know, thing kind of zoom between trees. That's obviously not a drone. It's it's moving at a high rate, irregular rate of speed, and it's moving in zigzagging formations and kind of bouncing around. And you're just like, nothing we have does that. You know, like that's just not normal. Absolutely, um, yeah. I've I've seen exactly what you're describing. I know what you're talking about. And uh, you know, up in Chiloquin, it's, it's quite well known, you know, with the natives there and like just in that area, you know, truckers have seen them, you know, UFO like things um, uh, or, you know, spirits on the road. You know, it's just a very uh, comparable to Romania, like a lot of spiritual energy or or uh, abnormal phenomena that happen around there because of like it being tribal land you kind of expect that to happen because tribal lands have you know residual negative energy or you know 
by massive numbers, you know, just from eradication of indigenous peoples or, uh, you know, old war between tribes and stuff, just very sad energy or, you know, like that feeling of hopelessness and that, you know, in a, in an area you're walking through the woods and you just break down and cry and it just, you know, it's not normal. Certainly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I got a very kind of, kind of, uh, morose feeling when I was driving through Chiloquin. It was, it was a very palpable sense of kind of, uh, there was this loneliness. I mean, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yep. Yeah. yeah. That is very interesting, and it's, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest to learn these things about you, Jason. And, and you sound very much like me, as a matter of fact, uh, these spiritual experiences that, you know, began when your life began. And so there are just certain people who are, you know, ha who have this sensitivity. Casey, whom you met, uh, uh, you know, a few days ago, she's another one of those people, as was the, the other gentleman who was with her. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, and actually you, you, uh, you would like to hear about a lot of the people I've spoken to in, in recent weeks. Um, so you might want to check out my, my previous episodes. They, they fit that same pattern as well. There are people who are just more sensitive and prone to having this type of experience. And I'm very interested in exploring that. So I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today, Jason. So, uh, thank you so Hi. much for being on type four, seven, one. Uh, yeah, and if uh, if anyway, if you could send me a way to <clears throat> keep in touch with you or how to kind of listen to your episodes, because I never really got much of a chance to uh, when Casey was here, because it was just a rushed kind of like meeting, uh, chance meeting. But uh, I really want to check out your show. And uh, my uncle used to do uh, dog mount encounter things on podcasts. Ah. <clears throat> um, uh, so I was always into that too. Uh, and that's another crypto animal that I'm very fascinated with because that's kind of what I thought that I found in Romania is the dogman. Yes. Uh, and, yeah. uh, yeah, I am very interested in that as well. And, and that's, you know, that really piqued my interest when I first heard about you. Uh, yeah, the, that dogman mystery, I don't know what's going on, but something is happening and they, they're showing up in certain areas and there are patterns emerging. So it's, it's something that I'm just really starting to get into, but I mean, mm. but uh, I, I really want to see where that goes. I feel compelled to investigate that. You're a kindred spirit, uh, Jason. So I'm very interested in, in staying in touch with you. I'm going to send you immediately the link to my show and, um, uh, contact information and we'll stay in touch and we'll, you know, we're going to, we're going to both be out there looking for evidence and stuff. So we'll, you know, compare notes, keep in touch and all that stuff. Sound good to you? That sounds perfect. All right. Great. Jason. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. I'll speak to you very soon. Okay, great. Sounds great, man. You have a uh, good rest of your day. You too. You have a good evening, Jason. All right. Cheers, man. All right. Cheers. Later. Look for Type 471 Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Show your support for Type 471 by subscribing and following, and check out the Type 471 Podcast YouTube channel. Each video contains all media associated with each episode. Please consider subscribing to support the show. To share your Bigfoot encounters or other paranormal experiences with me, email me at type471podcast at gmail.com. And check out Casey Miller's Bigfoot Encounters and Book Club Facebook group. There are lots of good people in the group with lots of interesting experiences. I co-admin the group along with Casey, and we hope to interact with you there. I'm Sam Kitchen.
Thanks for listening to Type 471.